He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. On February 4th, 2023, an F-22 fighter jet committed its first air-to-air kill. The first air-to-air kill in the weapon's history. It was an alleged Chinese spy balloon near Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And in the days that followed, the F-22 would score another kill, this time against a mysterious object above the Yukon. But this second object probably hadn't come from China, and hobbyists, in fact, believe it is one of their balloons. Across the world, there is a small but dedicated group of people who love launching tiny balloons into the sky. And it's it's been a weird month for that community, what with the fighter jets up there shooting things down and the constant report of UFOs. And today, motherboard reporter Becky Ferreira is here to talk to us about that amateur balloonist community. She has spent time talking to them about the great balloon panic of 2023, and she's here to tell us all about it. Becky, how are you doing today? I'm good, Matthew. How are you? Uh, you know, I think we're both recovering from various things. So mm-hmm. there's going to be some some muting and coughing in this podcast slash live stream. Uh, but I'm doing better, much better. That's so good to hear. Yeah, me too. All right. So let's, let's go over the basic facts uh, mm-hmm. for people that might be listening later or for people that for whatever reason didn't follow this madness over the past <laughs> month. Um, why are we talking about balloons? What happened uh, in February? Right. Well, it was such a weird flare up. Um, so in early February, there were a bunch of reports, um, mostly like people just um, on the ground of this bizarre unidentified object. Uh, I think the one that really raised the profile was in Montana. This guy just speculated it was of extraterrestrial origin, right? But then it got confirmed um, by uh, the Department of Defense shortly after that Nora had been tracking this giant balloon um, that originated in China uh, as it passed across um, Alaska through northern Canada and eventually went through the continental U.S. And um, it uh, China maintains that it was a scientific balloon that got blown off course, but um, the U.S. and Canadian intelligence communities both say that it is was a surveillance balloon. Um, it was shot down, as you mentioned, on February 4th off of uh, South Carolina. Um, and uh, the early findings from, from the recovery of the materials uh, from it suggests, according to the intelligence and communities, that it had surveillance equipment and geolocating communications equipment on it. Right. I think it's important to state we're going to talk about a couple different objects here, but this first one, China did did own it. They said it was theirs, uh, and that it was you know, like a normal weather balloon, right? And there's nothing shady going on. Um, that's what they say. Yeah. That's what they say. Uh, then what are these other? But then, like over the next couple of days or the next week, a whole bunch of other objects are in the sky uh, mm-hmm. that become of great concern. Uh, how did all of that play out? Yeah, there were three other objects that were downed by these jets between February 10th and 12th. One was in uh, over Alaskan waters, one was in the Yukon, and one was over Lake Huron. And um, they were way, way, way smaller. Like the Chinese spy balloon, alleged spy balloon, was uh, like 200 feet tall. It was carrying a payload that was thousands of pounds. It was gigantic, you know. And, and you know, if you see images of it, they're taken from, uh, from some of the... Uh, people who were who flying by it and stuff. It's, it's huge. These balloons are, are objects that have not been like actually um, confirmed to have been smaller balloons yet, but they were more on the size of like a couple feet across. 
and were um, carrying very small payloads. And I think the most that Biden has said about those balloons or those objects is that, you know, they had a benign purpose. They were research balloons, as far as people know. And um, they were so small that none of the um, none of them had been recovered at all. Like it was it just. Yeah, like not, not very much bigger than a party balloon. Right. I've got the the a photo of the original one pulled up, which was from uh, which was from the Air Force pilot that took a selfie uh, before they shot it down, which I think is really incredible. Um, and this was a, a photo confirmed by the Pentagon and then uploaded uh, uh, to to its like websites later. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's this is a, this is a, a large object, right? It's it's really really gigantic, and that's why they were able to recover so much. I think of it, and you can see like the giant panels, and it it was um, so many many orders of magnitude of the kind of balloons that are being launched by this amateur community. I mean, it's like they basically can't be compared. They're completely different systems. Yeah, I think somebody described like the weight of it as being it's it's like a grocery store balloon with some pennies attached to it. Mm-hmm. Basically, yeah, they're they're the um, technical definition of these Pico balloons. They're um, under four pounds, but most of them are like way, 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 way less than that. Even that they're uh, just a couple grams is the payload. It's it's they're they're really meant to be just an affordable and, you know, fun way to explore. And um, they're yeah, you, a lot of they're 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 essentially, yeah, the silver balloons you would get at a grocery store. So. What is the you talked to this community quite a bit? You interviewed several of them. Um, what was their experience like watching all of this play out on television? Yeah. While they kind of they know they know more about balloons than the average citizen, right? Mm-hmm. What what was their feeling as all of this was playing out? Well, you can imagine it was surreal for anybody, right? Because it was such a strange story, and so for them, it was just like such a mix of uh, emotions. Some were really worried. Some were thought it was funny. There's um, a lot of these forms and listservs and stuff like that, that people post on, they were joking around being like the military should be charging us for target practice and things like that. But, you know, it's, it's a a twitchy kind of time. So some of them were, you know, really concerned that this was going their hobby, which is just very, you know, benign and done for fun was going to somehow cause an international incident and um, so there was a lot of worries about whether the, their hobby is now going to be regulated more. Um, and uh, also just like kind of feeling bad that their balloons were potentially <laughs> targeted and downed by these jets and, um, you know, uh, getting into the mainstream attention that way. I don't think I think they were very bewildered. And then the silver lining for some of them is just that there's been so much attention now for the Pico ballooning community that they are um, seeing a lot more people being interested in, in getting involved and in, in launching for themselves. Let's let's back up and talk about this thing that was over Lake uh, or it was over the the Yukon. Um, yeah, we've the 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 White House has now admitted that it was probably a hobbyist balloon, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if they said hobbyist, but they said that it was like benign research balloon, like or research object. Yeah, right. And so the this ballooning community believes they know specifically which one it was, right? Can you walk me through what what they know and how they know it? Yeah, so they have this very like uh, comprehensive tracking system. These balloons carry trackers, and they often carry radios and um, very lightweight equipment. So they have this world map that shows where the balloons are, and they all have like you know their call signs and things like that. So, um, and so I felt really bad. Like someone, one of 
the people I quote in the article was just kind of watching the map in the days after this downing of the of the Chinese balloon and just seeing, oh my God, like these there's pico balloons that are going to come into the Yukon and come into Alaska. What's going to happen? And it's those two in particular, the Alaskan and the, the Yukon downings that they believe are um, that, that were probably pico balloons because they appeared on the map and um, they were described by the military as kind of being similar to pico balloons. One, I think, was described as having the the balloon had the width of a small car, which is, you know, about the size that some of them are. And um, the the one that was downed in Lake Huron, the the there's a Northern Illinois club for ballooning that believes it's, it was their particular one because they stopped hearing from it, <laughs> coincident with it falling off the map. So, yeah, I just I have to read this sentence in your piece uh, or a piece of it. Um, the balloon was called K9YO15 and mm-hmm. the club, the club is named the Northern Illinois Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade, yeah. which is feels like such an adorable Cub Scout name for something like this. Um, and it had circled the world six times over the course of several months uh, before its fatal and deadly counter with an F-22. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you have to just imagine these things are just wispy little things, you know, like they, like uh, some of the people I talked to were just really surprised that they could even be shot down at all. Like they're just, how can you lock onto something like this? So um, it it was a bit of an overreaction, I think. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm honestly impressed that a Sidewinder missile was able to uh, hit something so small. It's kind of impressive, really. Um, okay, yeah. so why do people do this? Why is this a hobby? Oh, I mean, for the most part, it's just fun. I think for them, the you know, even I was having fun looking at their tracking maps and. You know, they have like the predictions of where they're going to go based on jet streams. So people just, you know, they're launching these little balloons with very, very lightweight equipment. A lot of these balloons cost less than $20 to launch. So it's like super accessible. And then you're just watching something. You're going around the world. Uh, Not all of them are successful. It's a little bit more technical than you might think, um, given that they're pretty simple looking. But um, for the ones that make it up there, they can go on for over a year. They can go around the world multiple times, a dozen or more times. And so that's just like really kind of a fun thing to be engaged in. Then they also, a lot of them collect um, weather data that is used to support like NOAA and other weather agencies, meteorologically, meteorological agencies. They, um, they're very common now for high school projects, science projects and things like that, because they're so affordable and it's so fun to kind of track them. People in the ham radio community, uh, use them um, for their kind of exploratory projects. So I think just the fact that they are so cheap and easy to launch and there's not um, a huge barrier to entry, it basically is anybody who just kind of wants to have a fun science project. And I don't want to minimize it just to make it seem like it's recreational because they do support scientific research as well. But um, I think that's what is kind of interesting about the community is that they there's a lot of different backgrounds um, and there's uh, it's a very friendly and like um, welcoming, like open community. It seems way. so wholesome somehow. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is another reason that makes it such a weird story, right? Like these people um, just doing this really fun uh, hobby and, and often like engaging kids in it. And then there's military jets. Uh, allegedly. I want to, I, th- I think that's still all circumstantial. 
but it seems like very strong circumstantial evidence that they're getting in the crosshairs of these, you know, very expensive jets. So yeah, it's very, yeah. very <laughs> pardon me. What does it cost to put one of these up in the air? I mean, it really depends, but it can be under like $20. I think the one that um, they think they shot down over the Yukon was like $14 or something like that. They have really simple instruments. They're very simple um, balloons. You can certainly do more complicated things, but from what I've read, uh, $200 and, and, and fewer is like usually the price range. So... $143 million stealth tactical fighter jet um, shooting a $400,000 missile to take down $14 for around four, 14 bucks worth of equipment. Like what, yeah. what, what is involved in sending one of these things up? Like what is the, what are the specs? Like what do you need to do it? So actually I didn't get that much into the technicalities of it in this article. So I think it must depend a lot, but um there's a there's like a lot of really helpful people on these communities that will just like tell you what what you need to do and stuff and how to launch them. I think I think um you know you basically uh have a solar cell, very small uh solar cells, a radio tracker, uh instruments if you want them, all of which are going to just weigh a couple pounds and um or sorry, a couple of grams. And um and then, and then I think you can just, you, you launch them and they're most places because these things are so small, if they're under four pounds there, you don't need to like notify the FAA or anything like that. There's just like no chance of, you know, these, they, they note in the article, like if you just let your party balloons go after a party, they could be going around the world the same way. Right. So it's like just really impractical to be regulating them because they're not, really the the risk of any kind of interference with an airplane or anything like that is really small um because they're just so tiny you know right but i thought but the another thing that i thought was really interesting about this story is that this is a pretty new hobby yeah what has happened in the last 10 years that's laid the groundwork for people sending up amateur balloons with you know little tiny weather systems on them yeah, no, it's it's really interesting. That surprised me too. And so, b- ballooning in general, amateur ballooning is is many decades old. And then you know, of course, like the history of ballooning is centuries old. But um, the basically uh, regulations uh, to make uh, balloon like to to limit the size of balloons kind of created a mother uh, necessity is the mother of invention kind of a situation where um, limits placed on how big of a balloon you could put up in the last 10 years kind of created this whole situation of like, well, if we can't do larger balloons, let's create all these much smaller platforms. And with that, they started creating smaller radios, smaller solar cells, and basically created this entire little subculture of very, very small balloons uh, within like a deck the past decade or so. And I think it's only kind of really started gotten rolling in the, in the past couple of years. So it's the Pico ballooning in particular is very new and it surprised me as well because you think this would be um, a little bit uh, more of a, a legacy technology, but I think they just, they didn't have to push it to the limits of, of how small it is. And then I think it's picked up also just because now that they're so small and they're these, these instruments are so lightweight, they're way more affordable for, for anybody. So um uh, and the regulations are, are different everywhere. But one thing that was really highlighted in every to everyone I talked to and all around the community reading their forms and things like that is they obey the regulations where they 
where they are. And they're, they're very light. Usually, like I said, in the, in the U S you don't have to tell the FAA or anything because it's just, it's like letting a party balloon go. So, um, yeah, there was a, there was another thing that kind of shocked me about all this was that we have, people are watching the skies obsessively right now. Um, for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, we can get into the UAP stuff here in a minute. Um, I know how much we both love that. Uh, but, uh, uh, that this, uh, and like, we've got people are flying hobbyist drones. The FAA is doing all sorts of new regulations. Like even if local police departments want to use drones at a certain elevation that, um, you lose line of sight on like there's special forms and things that have to be filled out. There's all kinds of hoops you have to jump through. Um, no consequences for just letting a small balloon go though. I thought that was quite interesting. It is. And it's, well, it's just, they don't, there's really not a lot of risk from them or danger from them. Like it's with a, something like a drone there's, I mean, I'm not sure what the risk of collision is with those, but, um, of, of them carrying, they have, they have a heavy enough platform to carry surveillance equipment. Like obviously there's the uh, age old example of like, what if a drone comes in your backyard while you're sunbathing naked or whatever, like, like that a Pico balloon doesn't really have the capability to, to do that, to, to have that kind of risk. And so, um, yeah, so they're just, they're very like it low impact in terms of what their, their risks are. So they just haven't seen the need to regulate them very much. So what do you think happens now to this community? How have they been reacting in the, in the face of all of this? Yeah. So the biggest thing they're concerned about there, nobody I talked to was really concerned anymore that they're going to get shot down by a jet. I think everybody realizes that was a bit of a mania and like, and an overreaction and that actually like Pico balloons, they hadn't really been on the literally on the radar, right? Like for, for um uh for the military or anything and you know one one person told me like it, it's crazy that they even came up on the radar maps like they're that small that it, they must be presenting a very small radar return um so um so they're they're concerned more uh, about the idea that uh regulations will uh, force them to put like very heavy trackers the kind of trackers that you need on an aircraft or or a larger weather balloon or a larger scientific balloon of any kind um they that would basically make the whole thing moot because these would be like a pound or two and then you suddenly can't use a, the pico platform anymore so there's some concern about that kind of a situation and um they've been very you know true to their i think heritage of being people who are tinkerers and kind of inventors they've been putting forward kind of what they could offer to the community the worldwide community to help to prevent this kind of flare up again some suggested that there's just raising awareness of their tracking maps which are public um to to show like hey this is you know where where this object is you can kind of rule out that that's something nefarious because we have the tracker information right here and um also like mandating if anything that they put on radar reflectors which are lightweight and wouldn't interrupt the kind of main stuff that pico balloonists are doing um those would just make it much more bright on the radar screen so people would be able to see them a lot better and um one of my sources also suggested uh just giving me not not necessarily like having a clearance system but just giving um the faa like a a heads up warning about launches of these things um so that there's a record of um 
of when they launch and where they're going and, and what their likely paths are. Another really cool thing about these maps is that they have predictive paths. Uh, they try to predict where it's going to go. So, um, so people can, you know, if, if an airline pilot is like seeing something weird, there could be, it was like, there's a Pico balloon in this airspace or whatever, but even then, like, so they're, they're just, they're just like, they're not going to even cause much of a risk at altitudes like that aircraft are in because they're just a balloon, <laughs> you know? Um, so that, so their biggest concern is really that there's going to be some kind of overreaction uh, that's going to affect their community. But a lot of them think that it's just so impractical, like I've been saying to like, these are just wispy little things. And so they think if there's going to be new regulations, it's probably going to be for kind of the mid-sized four pounds and up balloons that are a little more technical to work with. It's also gotten a lot of people interested in the hobby, right? Yeah. They say they've gotten like a huge amount, a huge boost in their community. So that's something they're seeing as a, as an upside to all of this is that a lot more people have been reaching out and asking how they, how they launch their own Pico balloons. And so that's, that's great. And it'll be interesting to see how that kind of develops over time. Like, yeah. So if someone wants to get involved in Pico ballooning, where do Mm -hmm. you go? I would honestly just like Google the Google the groups. There's forums, there's listservs, there's a bunch of really they they're super like public facing and very friendly community, as I said. So, you know, when I was just asking to to talk to them about how they have been feeling this month, like lots of people were had lots of opinions and, and lots of advice from for for joining and like um in particular, like one of my people I interviewed is this guy, Steve Randall, um, who runs a UK company, um, that, uh, that helps with all kinds of ballooning. Actually, you know, basically everybody I interviewed for this has their own site that you can go to and like ask them questions and help and, and they'll help you, but they just, they just, uh, kind of walk you through it. There's lots of guides online so that you can pick and choose which community you might want to be a part of based on where you are located. If you're in Northern Illinois, you got the bottle cat brigade, of course. <laughs> So, um, yeah, I, I think there's like a lot of different opportunities to get involved. Just to have this like very clear image in my head of uh, like in the style of the Simpsons, like a Boy Scout troop in the middle of a, a cornfield in Illinois, releasing yeah. their balloon and being so excited. And then the F-22 just comes in and blows it up right over them. Exactly. They all look a Kubrick film that never got made because they were like, you've gone too far. <laughs> this is too wild. Stanley can't do really? it. Yeah. This is a little bit too on the nose. All right. Cyber listeners. We're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. All right, cyber listeners, thank you for sticking around. We are back on with Becky Ferreira talking about those damn balloons. So uh, another aspect of this, um, you are primarily a science reporter. Uh, mm-hmm. You are in, like always looking into space, always looking into the skies. 
So the other thing, the the other aspect that I kind of want to get into on this as we kind of close out the conversation is that we are in this moment um, that I think is only comparable to the 1990s and I think more apt probably the 1950s where everyone is obsessed with what's in the skies above us uh, with extraterrestrial life possibly, but generally like strange lights in the sky, UFOs, um, and the government is, is, is talking about it all the time. And I've lost my camera. So for some reason, so did the government get you? Oh man, I started talking about the UFOs and they, and they got rid of me here. We're just going to, we're going to switch to, we're going to focus on you. Wow. Matthew Cole's over here. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Why do you think that we are in 2023, have become so obsessed with this idea of weird things in the sky? Well, I mean, I think that there's been some credence given finally to, you know, finally by the Pentagon and NASA, like they're actually doing real studies of these things. So um, I, I guess the short answer, honestly, is I don't know, because this is something, this is an area that I always find so fascinating, but also like completely, um, unfathomable in so many ways like why certain things flare up at this at certain times my my best guess is that yeah there's been like legitimacy given to it more by the by the government and um you know there's there's big reports going on nasa has a has a council that they've you know convened to put together to to look into ufos and then i think maybe in the background noise just because there is a lot of um really sophisticated real alien hunting off of earth kind of going on right like I think that there's a general um, rising tide of optimism about being able to detect life elsewhere uh, because you have like perseverance on Mars looking. There's a lot of really interesting um, telescopes that are looking for biosignatures and exoplanets and things like that. So the kind of tangible uh, scenario that you could imagine uh, is, is beginning to come into view. But I, I honestly like I often, I often, I don't want to like, kick the hornet's nest of UFO stuff because it's a very rich lore that I am not that immersed in. So I'm not going to cast judgment on that or anything, but I often find these things like, um, yeah, with, with UFO sightings and things like that, it, it, in this case ends up being a weather balloon. And it just seems like terrestrial, the stuff we do terrestrial humans, the, the stuff that we're doing is, um, is just so, they were doing so much in the skies that um, it always seems like that's going to be the most plausible explanation to me. Again, I don't want to cast aspersions on what anyone has seen or weird stuff, because I know that it's very much out there and certainly people are in the government are now looking into it and trying to be a little bit more transparent about it. I think, I think obviously like for many decades, they, the government didn't do themselves any favors by basically trying to act like this was, something that needed to be shut down immediately as a conversation. Um, but I would be interested in your thoughts too on that, Matthew. Why now? Like, what do you think? Oh Lord. Um, let me see if my camera's back. My camera's not back. That's fine. Okay. That's evidence <laughs> you just, you just react to me here for a minute. Um, why do I think that this is going on? Why do I think that we are suddenly obsessed with UFOs? I think there's a couple different things going on. Uh, first of all, I think a lot of us are paying attention more to the sky simply because of things like hobbyist balloons and like drones. Um, a lot of us are doing more stuff in the sky and just paying attention to what's up there more. Um, 
I also think that, you know, you had this wave of people doing things like talking to 60 minutes, going on to, um, <clears throat> going on to the Joe Rogan podcast, like high profile, respectable, highly credible sources talking about weird stuff that they saw in the sky when they were, you know, fighter pilots for the U S Navy. Um, right. And and at the same time, you the the Pentagon starts acknowledging and releasing those videos, um, and I think at times, and I think this is borne out uh, if you look at like the 1950s, which is when I think the like one of the the classic golden age of UFO panics happens. Um, at times of sublimated social strife, uh, people get paranoid and they start looking around in weird places. Um, and they maybe don't trust the government. Uh, 1990s was another time that, that this, all this, all this stuff became really, really popular, right? Um, this, as you know, the X files being the classic example of the time. And you kind of had a, a, a revisiting of the air forces project blue book and all of this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. It's thing, it surfaces back into the, into the consciousness. And we've got now another time where, um, <clears throat> things feel very weird and very tense um, and for a lot of people, things are generally okay, but like your material needs are mostly being met, but everything still feels really screwed up and scary. Um, people start casting about outside of themselves, uh, you know, and they, they look to the skies and at the same time, you've got you know, the Pentagon actually talking about it and creating a government office that says that they will study this this stuff and releasing new videos. And you've got people like Marco Rubio um, and other other members of Congress, like kind of feeding into it and talking about it. And some of it, it, it's so bizarre because it's hard to kind of parse like what are serious concerns and serious reports and what is just complete bullshit because yeah. we have you know stuff like the tic tac video uh and and other things and like all these serious reports um and like somebody in, in chat just said you have people like harry reed who i think were fairly serious people but then you also have senators that are um in some of these hearings talking about ufos with the pentagon asking them why um there are strange objects in the sky above U.S. nuclear sites, uh, repeating mm-hmm. like a conspiracy theory that's provably false and, and didn't happen. Um, yeah, you've totally. just got so much more information and people are paying and like casting about outside of themselves and looking around and it just creates a weird air of paranoia. Um, and so I think, I, I don't know, I think it's all of that. It's all of that stuff, right? I would love to see if there's an interesting sociological element like the one that you're talking about. There's a particular, I don't know, pattern with um, times of, of, of more UFO sightings or anything like that and, and, and how social conditions are. I think I think people are also really hungry right now for just like, I don't know, maybe this is a too positive a spin, but like some cosmic connection. I, I notice that a lot with readers that, you know, just read my standard space stuff, which is just usually about wonderful things that are strange and weird in space. And I, I think I think people are just uh, excited that we're learning more about the universe and maybe there's something going on there where it's like, you know, it's uh, 
it's so big. How could we possibly be alone? How could we possibly not be on the radar of, um, of some other species? Um, and, and there's, and there's like lots of really interesting scientific studies along those lines too, to give grist to all of that as well. So maybe that's part of it too. I'm, I'm thinking also about the fact that Oumuamua caused such a big, the, uh, the first interstellar object ever discovered a couple of years ago. That yeah. caused such a big media yeah. storm as well. Because Was that the, the cigar shaped object that came in? Yeah, I don't really quite know. It was a, initially looked like a giant blunt. Yeah, <laughs> like they, that was the concept art, and then I think they—they're not actually quite sure what it looked like. Um, it was such a strange object. No one, no one denies it was like nobody expected that to be um, the first object to to come from interstellar space. But um, you know, famous Harvard astronomer has speculated a lot that it was an alien artifact of some kind, right? So I think that um, that's kind of gotten into the bloodstream as well. Well, it, it, one of the things I think is super interesting about that is that it. It entered the it entered like our interstellar space that we could see it, and then it pivoted in a way that objects typically don't if they're moving of their own power, right? Yeah, they 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 still don't. I think there's lots of natural explanations they tried to use, but it did accelerate, and nobody has really been able to account for a lot of its properties. So um, that's what let, opened up to the artificial interpretation. But there's there's a lot, the the wider uh, you know want to make clear the wider scientific community believes it had a natural origin and this could have been like a some kind of outgassing effect effect or something like that that caused it to accelerate but it was just such a weird object and then a couple years later there a totally normal comet that was from interstellar space came through it was like (laughs) that is what we expected to see that was just look at the normal comet like any other comet we would we would have in our own solar system it's just from interstellar space so um i think what's going to be really interesting on that score is just that um, there's a lot of surveys, wide, wide field surveys that are going to detect a lot more of these interstellar objects over the next 10 years. They're, they're guessing like one, a one a year at the, um, low end, or that's a conservative bet. So, I, you know, um, we'll start to see it, what the population really is. If there's mostly these weird umumua things, or they're, they're mostly just like um, standard comments or whatever. Uh, you said something I want to touch on real quick, um, reader engagement on this issue. Uh, that's one of the, one of the things I think is really fascinating about talking about this stuff in particular is every time I write, people are so sure they know what it is, uh, and they will tell you about it. It's not, and it is not definitely not always. I know that it's aliens. Um, and you're reporting on it in a way that it's, it's, you know, you're being irresponsible. I, I get that sometimes, but I also get, um, these are obviously Russian advanced Russian military drones, and it's crazy that you're not saying it. And I also get uh, people from the skeptic community that get mad and say, like, these are obviously lens flares and camera equipment malfunctioning, and it's irresponsible for you to not say that. Like, I get it's very, very, like, heated <laughs> in my inbox anytime I write about this stuff, and it's all is like all of those perspectives. Every a lot of people are very, very, very sure that they know exactly what this is, um, and they are upset when you say that perhaps you don't know, and it could be many different things. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think it speaks to the depth of the rabbit holes that we're all in, right? That I think that um, you know, there's a lot of a lot of evidence you can accrue for many different interpretations. And there's probably some confirmation bias on all sides going on. I, I, I would freely admit that, you know, with, when I um, say that I just can't seem to um, 
muster the imagination that you that the aliens have visited Earth. Uh, I'm sure that's to some extent confirmation by us on my part of just I, I there's they're just it's such an eerie silence out there. I, I think it's seems really unlikely. That's all. So um, I'm not trying to, but I, but I think, you know, there's just the internet has made it possible to search uh, to run after any, you know, tiger out there that you want to um, chase. And so maybe that's like why people get so convinced that it's a certain way. Yeah. This, uh, this kind of speaks to something that somebody said in chat just now. Can't quote, can the Pentagon really keep as many secrets now because of the internet? That's the difference between last century and this to me, now that it's just impossible to suppress this kind of thing. Um, I think there's a certain truth to that, right? Because one of the re- one of the ways that we, 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 we have the Navy videos that we have are because of Harry Reid and Tom DeLonge uh, mm-hmm. from Blink-182 and like getting these things leaked to them and sharing them out. Um, and people, uh, but also people in the military being more willing to talk about it and Mm -hmm. and there being more vectors of information to share and there being a thing like the Joe Rogan show for one of these pilots to go on and talk Mm -hmm. about what happened. Um, You know, there's, it is easier than ever to get on uh, the internet and share information. Um, So I do think that that's a part of it. Like it is harder than ever for, uh, a large scale conspiracy like project blue book. See my camera keeps dying to keep to, to be buttoned down um, and for no leaks to occur. Right. Are you sure there's not aliens in your room right now? That's why it's not blacking out. Possibly. I just, uh, to get it back on, I just turned it off and turned it back on. I don't know what's happening. I'm very scared. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I'm, I'm, generally of the opinion and maybe this is naive of me but it, i just don't i'm not sure it would be that easy to hide something of this magnitude i think there would be people who would leak something like this with, within the government too um like as as you've been mentioning there there have been but like something as um monumental as like a uh, an artifact landing on earth an alien artifact or a message or something like that i think um i i had uh, the opportunity really recently for instance to write an article just sort of speculating about um, what if a nation tried to monopolize um, contact with an extraterrestrial if they were the first to receive a message from them? And there was a lot of doubt on that idea just because nations would want to brag about this kind of thing. You know, like we are the ones that first got the message from aliens. Why would we hide that? Why would we, you know, that's prestige. So um, I think in many ways there's like incentives for governments to be open about this. And and as you say, there's so much um, the ability for people to just be taking their own footage now. I am obsessed with the movie Nope. <laughs> I love it so much. And I think about that a lot in this context of just like people trying to get that perfect shot of, of uh, unambiguously an alien. Right. And um, I think it really, that movie plays on, on this whole theme. The Oprah moment. The Oprah moment. The, the Oprah, Oprah moment. Line. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're interested in aliens and you haven't seen Nope, you owe it to yourself to go out and watch it. Just if you just love good movies, man. It's, yeah, uh, that too. Got robbed. I wish it had gotten a, a million Oscar nominations. I was very sad to see it didn't get any. Uh, another another comment. Like we we pulled up that that selfie earlier. Uh, individual fighter pilots are taking their own cell phone pictures and then releasing them with no seeming oversight from the Pentagon. That didn't happen before. Plus, open source data initiatives contribute. I think that's absolutely right. Um, you know, I'll pull up that photo again for people that are watching the stream. 
uh, I think that that's an important that, that's an important piece of this is like this was a selfie that this pilot took um, yeah. and shared around uh, and was making the rounds and before the Pentagon then came out and said yes this is this is real and released it to their like released it to uh, Divids and other places um, it was this this image was circulating and had been shared on social media way before the Pentagon said that it was official. And that's a good point. Like you can't not like once you get normal rank and file soldiers involved, even fighter pilots, the cat's out of the bag. They're going to talk about it. Everyone's online. Now everyone's on social media. Everyone's going to share their experiences. So. Yeah, totally. I think that's a great point. Uh, And I think that in our, our ringing endorsement of Nope is probably a good place to end this conversation. Becky, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through this. Uh, What incredible, mind blowing science story are you working on right now? I I would like to recommend one I just finished uh, that's about the cosmic web, and we love to cover that here, which is, you know, the the vast structure that links the universe and. There's a story that's just up about um, the first glimpse of shocks within this huge structure. So please check that out. I think we need to have you on again to just do um, like a roundup of your science stories. I think we're going to do that in a, in a week or two. Uh, and we're going to get on Discord instead of Zoom. And we're going to hope my camera doesn't die. <laughs> Perfect. Sounds great. And I will see you next time, Becky. Thank you for everybody in chat who contributed. Uh, Good to be back. Still coughing. Good to be back, though. (laughs) Bye-bye, everybody. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.